welcome to the IOD's Director's Briefing Podcast. This podcast is produced by the IOD's Policy Unit and provides timely updates, insights and commentary on the key issues of the day impacting business leaders. Hello everybody, welcome to this podcast from the IOD Centre for Corporate Governance. I'm Chris Hodge, the Senior Advisor to the Centre. For this podcast, we're going to be looking at the governance of sustainability. And I'm delighted to be joined by two good friends of the Centre who I know will have a lot of interesting insights to share. Tina Mavraki is the author of a study on the governance of climate transition in banks that the Centre published in March. You can find it on our website. And a shorter version of that was also included in a recent discussion paper from the Financial Conduct Authority. Tina is a IOD Chartered Director, and as well as her non-executive portfolio, she's a Strategic Advisor on Climate and ESG Governance, and has 25 years of experience in global capital markets, private finance and physical supply chains. Tina is a member of the EU Equidar Director Circles and a Fellow of the Chapter Zero UK. She holds an MA from Oxford University and an MSc in Finance from the London Business School. Our other guest is Stilpon Nestor, who is a member of the Centre's advisory board and the founder of Nestor Advisors, which is now a subsidiary of Morrow Sudan. In January, they published a study on the governance of sustainability at the largest global banks. Stilpon has advised the boards of some of the largest companies in the EU and in many emerging markets across a variety of sectors, as well as international finance institutions such as the World Bank and the EBRD. He was formerly the head of the Corporate Affairs Division of the OECD and led the team that produced their original principles of corporate governance, now recognised as the global benchmark. While both Tina and Stilpon studies have a particular focus on banks, many of the issues that they covered are equally applicable to companies in other sectors as well. So I'm sure what they have to say will be of interest to everyone. Tina and Stilpon, both of your reports identified a number of factors that are crucial to the effective governance of sustainability and the transition that many companies will need to make. There are three factors in particular that you both highlighted, which I'd like to discuss today if we have the time, and they are integrating sustainability into the company's strategy, managing the risks associated with sustainability, and the skills and competencies that the board requires to do so effectively. So if I may, Tina, I'd like to perhaps start with you and ask a question, how do you, in a practical way, integrate sustainability and, and specifically climate transition into the strategy? Chris, uh, Stilpon, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, and this is a great opportunity to uh, to discuss this. And I'm delighted that the IOD is really taking a leadership stance on, on this matter. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're putting strategy, risk and competencies in that order. I would actually start with the risks part so that then strategy, the, the content and direction of strategy was emanate naturally from it. Right. How well, do let's, you let's do that then in that case. And um, I think okay. both, both of your reports said that risk management in relation to sustainability and climate was an area where there was a lot of room for improvement. So perhaps you could explain what, what some of the weaknesses are and what needs to be done to address them. Brilliant. I think that the question of risk first of all, has to be identified in, in two forms. One, it's downside risk management. The other one is upside risk capture. Let's start from these two. Um, 
I think the core way for uh, any organization really to understand its risks, upside or downside with relation to sustainability, is to do a deep dive on how this company or this organization is going to look like under specific scenarios. If you have your scenarios, you have a sense of what the company looks like and what its sensitivities are to specific sustainability, call it climate, call it um, social issues, governance, I, I, I think it's the common denominator, so I wouldn't add it in there. But once it understands its specific sensitivities to very specific parameters in each of these categories, then it can understand what its upside and downside risks are. And once it, this is done in a forensic manner, this is done in a, um, uh, what's the word that, um, in an actuarial manner, in a similar way that insurance companies does, then it can arrive at very specific and targeted um, aspects that it needs to cover both on the upside and on the downside, downside risk. And once these are identified, then we can get into the conversation about strategy and how strategy can pivot. Because if we, on an otherwise, if we start talking about how you integrate sustainability into strategy, it can lead into situations of Bolton. And if you get situations of Bolton, then you know that this integration is not genuine, it's not going to last, it's going to get deprioritized, and then you're just not going to get sustainability. And my contention is, and I would be curious, and I'm trying to gather evidence now, if you don't have these sustainability elements, then you're not going to get financial sustainability down the road. And if you don't take get financial sustainability, there is no more company to talk about. So I think it's important to understand that sustainability is a deep financial, has a, a very deep financial parameter in our conversation. I spoke too much, Stilpon, over to you. No, thank you, Stilpon. You, you were breaking up slightly there, but I think hopefully our audience could still hear you clearly. Uh, Stilpon, just picking up on things, well, do you, do you, first of all, do you agree with her analysis about the, the centrality of risk? And also, in, in, from what you've seen, do you think uh, companies are, are currently doing that, or is that an area where there's a, a room for improvement? Um, on, on the first leg of the question, Chris, and first of all, uh, uh, I'm also delighted to be here um, with, with, with the two of you, whom I know and I respect greatly, um, uh, and, and thanks to the IOD for inviting me, of course. Now, on what Tina said, I do agree that risk and strategy are essentially two sides of the same coin. Um, now, from a practical perspective, um, I, I, would, I would say that I'm a little bit agnostic as to how one proceeds, but what I've seen in practice is, from what I consider the, the best practice companies, is that the process of setting risk appetite is very much linked to the process of capital allocation. And as most of us know, risk appetite is the forward-looking perspective on risk. So how much risk do I want to take to achieve my objectives? Now, uh, this definition um, assumes that you do have some objectives that you want to achieve. 
Um, and, and, and in that sense, I, I would say that um, uh, the way I look at it, companies first uh, have a long-term perspective on where they want to be, uh, which is v- very much proximate to the discussion on purpose. Um, then they have another discussion, and, and, and risk is always present, of course, in these discussions, uh, but it is of a less structured nature, I would say. Then they would have a discussion on business planning, which is a much more specific discussion, which produces KPIs, and that's where sustainability KPIs are produced. And finally, they have a capital allocation discussion, which is the budget discussion, in, in which usually um, the, the actual risk appetite setting and statement in the banking sector um, um, is, is, is also linked to. Um, th- th- this is the, the way um, that I, I, would, I would see the process. Now, a little footnote here, which I think it is important. Uh, Tina also mentioned the three elements, the E and the S and the G. Uh, as I have, um, as we have written in the banking study um, that you mentioned, Chris, of the largest global banks, uh, we do believe, and it is my firm conviction, that the term ESG is not a very um, um, not a very accurate description of what we're looking for here. The E and the S, the environmental and social actions and goals, risks and objectives, they are strategic in the strategy sphere. Strategy and risk appetite, of course, as I said, they're the two sides of the same coin. The G, on the contrary, is on the how-to sphere. So once you know what you want to achieve, you design your governance. So I think it is unfortunate that we lump these three together because this creates eventually a lot of noise, both within organizations in setting goals and towards the broader market and the stakeholder community in actually um, measuring how these goals are achieved and reporting on them. I'll I'll start you. Thanks. I mean, I think it's an interesting distinction that you make there between the ENS and the the G. And I I agree with you that governance is there to support uh, the delivery of the strategy and and the, the E and the S. I think we could probably all think of examples where the governance has been a barrier to to that and you know uh, as well and that's perhaps something we can come on to when we look at the, the functioning of the board and, and so on tina i think the, the process that, that still wants described that he's observed in practice do you think um again does that resonate with your own experience but also do you think that that's a process that ensures that sustainability considerations are integrated rather than uh, as you commented bolted on to to existing existing strategy and, and risk thinking Absolutely. And what I would add to that, uh, still, in order to make that consideration crisper about that uh, risk appetite statement, is to try and quantify it as much as possible. So considerations to the sort of a shadow uh, pr- uh, price, of ca- uh, price of carbon or an internal price of carbon or um, risk-weighted assets um, would be quite uh, green risk-weighting, uh, uh, risk-weighting would be 
um, uh, good ways to actually make it as quantitative as possible so that then in that risk-reward scenario, i.e. the risk-appetite statement that cascades through the organization then becomes something that is very tangible and that's understood by all lines of defense, no matter whether we're talking about the financial sector or any other sector. And then we have, we establish common language, which is very important. Then you understand what metrics have to be um, um, encompassed into the risk governance, the enhanced or climate aware or sustainability aware uh, uh, risk governance, and then reported and then monitored. And, you know, the whole cycle goes um uh, on, on, on the on the risk governance side. So I think that's very important. And the assets test, you're absolutely right, Stilpon, I, I agree with you at least, uh, that the asset test is in CapEx because CapEx has that multiplier effect. Uh, expenses, one-offs. Uh, but but um, the CapEx side is that side that pro- provides or um, builds the longevity of an organization. So that's the asset test. Well, thank you, Tina. And that, uh, you know, I suppose that is the ultimate indication of, of integration, as you, as you say. So, I, one one question that perhaps some of our, our audience may have, a lot of them, obviously, being the IOD, are our directors or work with boards. Are what is the specific role of the board in this process, as opposed to the role of management? Um, I know you know the. Re- the views about the expectations and the role of the board in relation to sustainability are, are revolving. I think it's fair to say. Um, I don't know. But still, do you want this to? This is yeah. sure, Chris. I, I think this is a very interesting question because one of the things we found in the research, and we talked to a lot of board leaders among the thirty largest global banks, um, is that very often the the sustainability perspective in the organization has been um, kind of um, endorsed, first of all, by the board. So this was, in the beginning, a a board-driven process. Many organizations created board committees uh, for this specific purpose, sustainability committees, and so on and so forth. Interesting enough, as the maturity of the issue uh, developed in the organization and 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 companies, especially banks, in this particular case, uh, climbed the curve in a sense. We saw a, a a movement from the the board board initiative towards management, and board in a sense fell back more in its traditional perspective of looking at the issues of sustainability as they get integrated into strategy and risk management, they started looking at them as such. So as part of strategy, so they discussed them as elements of strategy, uh, both in specific meetings, but also during the work of the board, um, and as items of risk, both in the risk capital statement and in the review of the risk profile of the organization. Uh, what, uh, you know, what risk are we carrying today? Um, now, this is very interesting because it's what we call in the study the maturity spectrum. So you start by a top-down kind of perspective uh, on, on, on sustainability issues, but as the organization 
gets acquainted to them, and as they get, as Tina was mentioning, as they cascade down the organization, management becomes the key player, and you have people from management uh, that with a specific role in this, like sustainability, you know, the head of sustainability in an organization that are usually uh, quite helpless. Now, every sector will have its own arrangements, of course. Uh, but uh, I think that our, our observation as regards the bank, as regards this maturity spectrum, um, I think it would hold in most organizations. Thanks, Sybil. And, and so as it becomes operationalized, uh, if you like, and then and, and embedded, then it, it, the role of the board, in, in leadership at least, is handed over to, to management, but they continue. Yes, after to, the kickstart uh, by the board. I mean, I mean, Tigra, is that, again, is, is that um, consistent with your own experience of working with and, and sitting on boards of companies? And, and perhaps following on from that, if that is the, the, the changing role of, of the board, the issue of board skills and competence is something that you flagged in, in, in your study and still wanted in, in his, and clearly it's, it's a very important consideration. So what sort of skills should, does the board need? in both its initial role, as described by Stilpon, and in its ongoing role? And how do you best get those? One of the debates that we often hear is whether there is a need for sustainability specialists of some sort in the board, or is it more a case of the board as a whole being um, sustainability literate, if that's the right phrase for it? Sure. Let me um, take one each question in turn, because each question has, has a lot of juice in it, I guess, is, is uh, the colloquial <laughs> word to use here. Um, I, I think, Stilpon, uh, you, you made some excellent points here. Um, on a very, very practical note, I've seen sustainability kick off in different ways. Either uh, someone very senior, whether that was in XCOM or in the board, um, took that issue to heart. Whether that was a personal thing, whether that was a defensive mechanism by which there was some sort of uh, event risk event that materialized and then people had to start looking more deeply in it, in it, into it. But fundamentally speaking, someone needs to be a champion that is very senior. That's how usually things, things these things start. And then you get that followership process whereby uh, other people catch on, they hear of what's happening in other boards, then the whole conversation starts uh, growing. You have the IOD obviously playing its own role in on the governance matters, OECD and so on and so forth. So in my understanding, things happen a bit more organically. And what is interesting about uh, that process then is how do you formalize that process and systematize that process? And what I found quite interesting is that um, things have happened on quite a few occasions. They, they have been established in a formulaic manner, but we haven't got into the core of the aspect, which is why then I come back to addressing the risk parameters of, of the whole conversation first, because then it becomes very personal and very existential to the organization, whether that's upside or downside. In the sense that if you're catching on to a trend but if you don't bring the conversation home, then you don't know what steering means at the board. You don't know what to monitor at the board. And then the divergence it becomes even clearer be between the non-exec and the executive body. What needs to happen here is a closer integration between the non-exec and the executive parts of the organization. So then you know what, what this sustainability means for you as an organization. 
and then you crystallize your risk appetite statement. So what would be important for me is that sense of um, because sustainability is a change management process, mindsets, procedures, uh, uh, business models in some occasions, extreme occasions, I would say, product mix, engagement process internally and externally, this change management mentality has to find its way in the board and it has to find a, a way in the executive. And then the board needs to find very specific ways to steer the conversation as well as to monitor the conversation through KPIs, through executive governance, through feedback loops, through metrics in order to make the conversation relevant and constantly alive. Otherwise, it becomes a tangent in the in the 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 the, the, the daily or the the periodical affairs of of their organization, and then it's 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 a huge opportunity missed for me. Does that answer the first question? It it, it does do yes, and I think it's very interesting the the phrase you use that it needs to be organic, not formulaic, because I think that also picks up a bit on what Stilpon was saying about governance needing to be designed to support rather than you put the governance in place and hope somehow it magically magically creates a process that works. So that that's a very interesting insight. Thank you. So I'm just looking at the time, if we could move on to to the question about the competence and skills and perhaps make this the final the final point to, to cover. Would you do you want to pick up on that while you have the floor or should we have hand over to Stilpon? Stilpon, go ahead. Happily. Uh, so, uh, we, as you know, in our in our study, we do make the distinction between expertise and literacy. Um, and, and we thought that is an important distinction because um, I, I would say in general, not only in banks, but especially again in banks, but in general, boards are not groups of, of topical experts. Somebody knows A, the other person knows B, the other person knows C. Boards are usually groups of leaders that have experience in a vast number of issues and more on the issues and have more focus on the issues of the business at hand. Now, what we mean by sustainability literate um, is that they're not necessarily environmental experts like professors of environmental engineering in a, in a school or professors of climate change in another school, but they are rather people that have dealt with these issues for a long time and have such an experience, especially from business perspective. A good example is, for example, the Canadian banks. The Canadian banks have a lot of people that have long careers in the extraction industries. So they've dealt with issues of the environment uh, for a long, long time. And they've led committees on this, both at management level and at board level. They, they, they have pretty solid views on how to approach it. So that is sustainability. Um, and I'm a, I, I firmly believe that this is the way boards should look at the kind of expertise it's literacy, rather, um, that they need to have on boards on matters of sustainability. Thanks, I want to, Tina, do you agree with that? Or? I, I would take a slightly different view. I mean, we don't want to make it easy for our, uh, for our audience here that mm -hmm. we agree on everything, right? So <laughs> I, I would say the following. Uh, um, the, it raises a very practical question. 
So for instance, big data is a very big thing. Should we get data experts in the board? And then if marketing is an important thing or, or HR is an important thing, how big should that board be is the question that a lot of people ask, counter ask as, as, as a result of that question. I think that probably is misses the point to some extent in that sustainability in some companies becomes an existential issue. In some companies, it becomes a tangential issue. And if it is an existential issue, I cannot see how sustainability should not have resident expertise, expertise in the board. If you have a chair of an audit committee, you want them to be a financial expert and understand financial accounts deeply. I don't see how um, if um, sustainability is an existential issue, how the chair of the risk committee is not an ESG expert or a climate expert for that matter. And I have another um, question, I guess, as take financial in the financial industry, which is called to take a leadership position, um, is um, constantly grappling with issues like I cannot systematize my data, I cannot validate my data. Um, industry, you're asking too much of me to police the, the process. You know, regulation has to take some part in this. I need further guidance. How is the chair going to lead the board in that conversation unless they are have solid expertise in climate and sustainability matters? If they're called to take a very serious leadership position in the whole sustainability evolution of the economy at large, how are they going to tackle that matter if they're just literal, literate? They would end up, my fear is they would end up taking a followership role when in fact they should be exerting a leadership role. So to me, in order to make, uh, to take positive, deliberate leadership in the whole matter, I think ESG expertise and in fact ENS expertise, because again, I take the G as a common denominator. It should be. I mean, that's what boards do there in the first place. ENS should be um, expert. Um, um, there should be resident expertise for the board for these for these matters. Thank you, Tina. First of all, may I say that one of the things I always enjoy in discussions with with a couple of Greek people is that at some point you'll start having a philosophical discussion. And so I was delighted when you mentioned existential crises. Um, so that helped to raise the tone as always. Um, on the point that you you mentioned, I think it's a very interesting uh, exchange of views. I suppose one of the things that a lot of companies struggle with in terms of, of your, your, your expectation that there is some expertise and leadership is perhaps that the sheer breadth of the different environmental and social issues that face the company mean that trying to design a board that fits everything in uh, is quite a challenge. But perhaps that comes back to where we started, which is understanding the most material risks to the company will help you then identify which are uh, the aspects of, of, of ENS, at least, that are, are most important that you have, whether it's expertise or literacy, as you, as you, as you see fit. So I think that's a, a reminder to, to the audience of what we, where we started, which is uh, this, the materiality assessment, whether you frame it as a risk assessment or a strategic assessment, is really the, the core to the whole thing. In, we'll need to wind up a little now, I'm afraid, in, in the interest of time. But before doing so... I would like to ask you both one one last question. Uh, if there is anybody 
who sits on a board or works with the board who's listening to this, who feels that their company has not really gotten to grips with sustainability and that the board could be taking a more active role. What are the perhaps the, the one or two tips that you would give to them as a place to start, assuming they're at the beginning of this this particular journey or process? I don't know which of you, whichever of you wants to take that one first. So. I would start from why are you doing this? Why is this important to you? If it's not important to you, don't don't waste too much time and don't waste too much of communications either internally or externally because then that you can get issues of dilution, you can get issues of greenwashing, you can get issues of misrepresentation. I would I would advocate for conscience, co- conscious um, engagement with the issue. If it's not material, clear the deck, move on to what's more material for you. I, pre- pretense, I mean, you don't need to be uncourteous, but, but uh, or I don't know if that word exists, actually. <laughs> but um, It does now. <laughs> so it doesn't exist. Thank you for being kind, Chris. Um, just focus on what's important and material. I, I couldn't agree more. Materiality is the heart of the matter here. It's the first thing you got to do. The tip is... How material is this for me? And it's in a sense, it's it's a, it's a matrix analysis where you have all of the issues that are under ENS on one side, the sustainability issues, and how material are they for us? That's where you start from, um, and this needs to be a, a a kind of a thorough exercise, and you need to zero in on the areas that really matter. Uh, and as I said before. Focus on the on the strategic stuff, on environment and social. Um, focus what's long term value, what adds long term value, or what is important. You think in general for what externalities you want to price and internalize to put it in in, in economic terms, um, and 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 then proceed with structuring the rest, organizing yourself in order to meet this challenge that is material. If, if you will allow me to add one more thing, and oh, I think that, that's an, a phenomenal takeaway from today's um, uh, kind of beautiful uh, exchange here. Governance, ENS, not the same thing. Um, Stilpon calls it the how, I call it the, the foundational ground on which anything sits. If you don't have good governance, you don't have accountability. If you don't have accountability, you can promise anything to anyone, but nothing is going to happen as a result of it. And you have the recent um, unfortunate mishaps on the governance side, on both sides of the Atlantic, that have caused the world a bit of a spur. And some people call it, is it Groundhog Day yet again? The biggest takeaway, even if we're talking about, if we're not talking about, we happen to be talking about sustainability here, but anything to do with our matters here, as far as um, companies are concerned, invest in your governance in a very material and meaningful way. If you don't have governance, I wonder how sustainable your company is going to be at large or your organization. And thank you very much for that. No, I I think that's a very very good um, point to end on. It may not be... Governance may not be what gives the company the direction, but without it, you will never get to to where you're aiming to go, and uh, will probably veer off into a veer off into the bushes very, very quickly. Um, I, I've really enjoyed.
talking to and listening to the both of you. I think there's been a lot of excellent insights there. I'm only sorry that we we need to wrap up uh, in the interest of time, but I feel we're almost just scratching the surface. But perhaps um, you know, if, if those of you who listen to this have an interest, we maybe can reconvene the team again in a in a little while and, and touch on some of these subjects again in more detail. But for now, thank you, Tina. Thank you, Stilpon, uh, both for your excellent papers that prompted this podcast. Uh, so so we, can, we have a link to the Tina's paper on, on the centre's web. Pause. So th- thank you again very much for your time, for the work that you you did in your studies that have led to this conversation. I'm sure there's been a huge amount there that, that people will take away. So thank you both. And uh, to the audience, I look forward to joining you for our next podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed this Director's Briefing podcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to ensure that you are kept up to date on our future podcasts. You can find more information about our work on our website at iod.com forward slash news and on our LinkedIn and Twitter profiles. You can also contact us directly via policy-unit at iod.com. Thank you.